This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Stacking the Box College Football Edition. I'm your host, Reed Wall, joined today by my co-host, my co-pilot, of course, Cody Williams. Follow me on Twitter, at Reed Wallach. Follow him on Twitter, at the Sizzle 20 lot of dust has settled from the crazy week four statement week for many teams. The national championship picture starting to take a little bit of shape here. The Heisman picture starting to take a little bit more shape lot to get to. We're going to go through our third of the season poll, take some stock in Heisman Trophy picks, college football playoff predictions, national title prediction maybe. And then we're going to, of course, preview week five with some of our favorite bets. Big show today, Cody. How's it going? Mm -hmm. It's going good, man. Uh, You know, week four lived up to the hype, you know. Uh, There might not have been a whole lot of like crazy upsets or anything, but every game was really solid other than Colorado and uh, Oregon. But, you know, yeah, we can't win them all as we as a few people predicted uh, that game did not live up to the hype. The uh, the Colorado uh, steam is starting to slow down as they uh, welcome USC to Boulder <laughs> this weekend and might uh, right. actually derail and go completely off the tracks. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, it was a great week of games. A lot of thrilling endings. You have the Clemson, Florida State game, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a little bit. Notre Dame, Ohio State, a lot of it helped kind of shake out where some of these teams are in terms of the national hierarchy. So I'm really pumped to get into that and kind of see where you're at in terms of your current college football playoff predictions, some of your awards Mm -hmm. and national champion. But first, let me tell you about what DraftKings is doing here because they've upped their sign-up offer this football season. New users can place a $5 first bet to instantly claim $200 in bonus bets plus up to $150 back in bonus bets if your team loses that you bet on. All you have to do is sign up and use the code STB. Stands for stacking the box. Use the code STB. <clears throat> so excited. I'm uh, getting choked up here. <laughs> All you have to do is sign up with our code STB and use that code again, STB. And you get those great bonuses. And also, it directly supports this fine podcast and live stream. So if you want to help us out, you like the show, we're helping you make some money. Why not? Just go over to DraftKings, sign up, use the code again, STB, $5 sign up, you bet, you get $200 in bonus bets, and have the chance to also get another $150 in bonus bets. Again, use the code STB. All right, Cody, let's see where we're at a third of the way through the season here. 
I'm going to pull up the odds for national championship to make the playoff, but I want to, I want to start with where you're at. We've seen a few of these teams now in big marquee matchups. What are some of your big takeaways? And I guess you could pay it off with who your four is uh, to make the college football playoff. I would, I would say not like right now, right now, like if you, for the end of the season, like where you stand. No, hundred percent. So I, I think lessons learned in week four was I think the biggest one has to be come down to Ohio State, you know, because I'm not sure I'm still I'm not sure I'm confident in the offense yet. Granted, it was a very good it's a very good Notre Dame defense that they played, but there were still some problematic signs from Kyle McCord that I saw. But I think we could see Ohio State get into the playoff picture more solidly than I expected because of the defense like that defense absolutely answered every question I had about it on Saturday night. Sam Hartman in the Notre Dame offense, they could not find an explosive play to save their life. And more importantly, they they really handled the Notre Dame rushing attack really well, I thought. And so when you look at a team like Ohio State that still has Penn State and Michigan, two teams that you know are going to pound the rock down your throat, and that's kind of like their big roadblocks to get to the college football playoff, I think Ohio State has a much better chance in those matchups than I – previously thought having said that uh when i'm looking at my college football playoff i still have the same four that i had coming into the season which is georgia penn state texas and florida state because outside of penn state and georgia we've seen those other two who are probably the bigger question marks of the of that four answer those big questions texas has the win over alabama florida state has two signature wins over lsu and clemson now and I would argue that Florida State even got that win against Clemson without even playing their best football. Like they they left a lot of plays out on the field, particularly offensively, and now they have pretty much an easier, uh, easy-ish path through the ACC to get into the college football playoffs. So I'm still sticking with that four. Penn State, I think, really uh, took a step forward in the second half against Iowa offensively. They really just kind of turned it up another notch, aided by the defense, really exposing mm. the Iowa offense further. Sure, but. I think that Drew Lahr is only going to continue to get better to get better. And so yeah, I'm I'm still confident in my four that I had coming into the season. I I think your four is looking looking strong for sure. I as someone who had Clemson in theirs, I think I'm gonna not bat a thousand. <laughs> that being said, going back to that Ohio State Notre Dame game, it, it did show a lot. The more the week went on, the more I kind of came around on the Ohio State side. I just feel like there was more talent there. And my biggest question, if you remember when we were talking about how we're betting this game, how we saw it, and I was looking at the first half under, I didn't think Notre Dame had the weapons on the outside to really challenge Ohio State secondary, and that proved to be the case. While Michigan and Penn State are both run-first offenses, I trust their group of pass catchers mm-hmm. to maybe challenge them a little bit more. And listen, Kyle McCord made some big plays in that game, and you know Ohio State only has really – there's only going to be three games where they're they're – the win is in doubt heading into it. Like we don't know what's going to happen. It was this game. It's the Penn state game, which is at home. And then it's the Michigan game at the end of the season. And then Mm -hmm. that's pretty much it. You, the rest of the games, they are expected to win. Right. I still don't know if I trust them against Penn state and Michigan to come through those clean and deserve that fourth spot. I will say the thing in Ohio state's favor though, is that I don't really believe the PAC 12 will have enough to get, be a two bid league. The SEC definitely does not look like a two bid league. Um, big 12, I don't believe is ever going to be in the conversation for that because it's just Texas and Oklahoma. So the thing going in Ohio state's favor, and as 
what I think is maybe the biggest development over the, the first four weeks is that the Big Ten has the far and away path, the, the clearest path to being a two-bid college football playoff uh, league. Obviously, you're talking about the team that wins the Big Ten championship and then the team that doesn't play in the Big Ten championship but has right. <laughs> and their strength of record holds more so than anyone else in uh, that's bidding for a college football playoff spot. So for me, what I would say right now, all that being said, because I kind of went on a tangent there. If I'm not mistaken, my preseason was Georgia, Clemson, Michigan, and I said Penn State, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I'm going to replace Clemson with Texas, and I'll stick with the other three. Okay. So I feel like that's fair, right? Like I, 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 I'm Absolutely. one whoopsie, one, one I made a mistake, and I'll replace it with Texas, who we spoke about after the Alabama game. We both think that they have a, a really nice track to – the college football playoff or the big 12 championship game and undefeated record Quinn Ewers Heisman, all that stuff. So I think those four, I would say my gripe with Florida state is that their defense still gives me a lot of pause. I think that I listen, you win, you win, you win, right? right. I did not think that they deserve to be Clemson. I thought Clemson was the better team on Saturday, in my opinion. I, I don't think you're wrong there either. Which, like, like, I listen, mean, you're not going to be the best team every game, but they won credit to them. But I just still question if Florida state's defense has a gear I mean, that team does not, and we spoke about this last week, still didn't see that gear from the defense. I know they had a scoop and score touchdown, but I mean, Clemson was moving the ball pretty well with a lot of backup receivers. Yeah, and I mean, to that scoop and score, like if Phil Moffa picks up a block, like that play doesn't happen. Like yeah. he just completely like abandoned his assignment as a blocker on there on a delayed blitz. So, I mean, like they're literally one missed block and one missed field goal away from Clemson winning that game. So I'm 100% with you. Florida State did not play their best game. They're probably lucky to still be undefeated. Having said that, like you look at the rest of their schedule and maybe the Miami game is a question mark, but it's not like a ton of question marks in the ACC. Like Florida State still looks pretty pretty much like the class in that conference. So I guess, I guess I'm kind of looking at easiest path and maybe that's actually working against Florida State in the fact that they may not be able to pick up another signature win. And so if any of these teams do pick up a signature win, they can jump them and essentially freeze Florida State out of the playoff picture. At Florida, last week of the season, Graham Mertz. No. <laughs> Let me tell and, you about Graham Mertz. Joe Exotic Seminoles college football playoff path. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> All right, oh let, let, let's get through let's get through a few more here. Um, I guess in the same vein as play uh playoff national championship. Um, has your thought changed as the season has progressed? Are you feeling a certain way about a certain team? Is there a bet that you would like to maybe place or you have placed? We're talking national championship really quick just to go through. I won't go too far, but Georgia two to one, Michigan six to one, Florida State plus eight hundred, Texas is also plus eight hundred, Ohio State plus eight fifty. Penn State 12 to 1, USC 16, Washington 18. And then I feel like, given where we're thinking, it seems like we don't really see much of a path for other teams. Right. Yeah. And I I think the most intriguing bet is probably Texas at plus 800 because I think that because of Texas's past, people are underrating how good this team is in the trenches. And when you look up, you know, at a matchup against potentially Michigan or Georgia or Penn state, mm-hmm. like you're going to have to match up in the trenches. And I think they can, like, I think they have the guys to be able to do that. And so I think plus 800 is not giving them necessarily enough credit 
in that in that capacity. Georgia's like the real wrinkle in here that makes this really, really complicated because we don't know, we don't know and may not know until the SEC championship game how good Georgia is. Like they there's their SEC schedule, their non-conference schedule that they've already played is so it's such a cupcake schedule that mm-hmm. we're not going to see them tested. And so they may have a gear that they don't have to hit until those big moments. Now, granted, it's a question of if they're able to even hit that gear, but like they're the, they're the mitigating factor in this that scares me uh, tremendously. And I guess like the odds makers are scared too. That's why they're still plus 200 on the board. Yeah, no, I, I think it's still Georgia deserves to be the favorite until proven otherwise. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think that there's a reason to move Georgia I think if I were to place a bet right now, it'd probably be on Michigan to win the national championship. I just think that is the team. I know that they haven't covered a spread yet. I know that they've been in cruise control. I think that is a sign more of how comfortable this team is and that they're not, they're just kind of going through the motions. We'll see Mm -hmm. this week. They go to Nebraska, a huge favorite yet again, but this is a team that I said before the season, I thought that they had the highest floor Mm -hmm. of any team in the country. And I think that, you might, I don't know if the ceiling is going to be realized by any of these teams to win a national championship. Like Georgia was such a, was so dominant the prior two Mm -hmm. years. I just don't know if that this year is really cracking up to be that. Like, I think if any of these teams were in last year's world, they were competing with the top teams. A hundred percent. There's a lot more parity. Exactly. So I, I, I think I trust Michigan the most. I could see Georgia winning it. I definitely could see Michigan winning it. Not sure I could get there with Ohio State or Penn State. Yeah. Definitely, I think Florida State's defense has some concerns. Texas, maybe. I think, to me, the team that I am most confident will be there at the end. Because, remember, if we're thinking SEC is only a one-bid league, what if Georgia loses the SEC championship game or something like that? Like To me, I'm most confident that Michigan is going to be in the playoff when it's all said and done. And, you know, to me, that's probably why I'd go there. Um, Heisman thoughts. Are we still on the Quinn Ewers bandwagon? Michael Penix starting to put up some numbers. Are you scared? I am scared. Michael Penix does have <laughs> me scared. Yes. Uh, 100% no, on that. No, no scared. We're Quinn, baby. Oh, All look, I can, I can still back my guy Quinn, but still be a little scared. You know, just a little bit. A little bit of fear and anxiety creeping in because, I mean, Penix has been incredible. Like, there's no denying that. And, like, they don't have a run game. So, for Washington mm-hmm. to continue what they're doing, it's going to have to be all in Penix's arm. So, like, that's I think that's what scares me the most is how little Washington is running the ball. So it's literally just a Michael Penix last year. So uh, absolutely, but they they at least had the threat of a run game. I can, I'm mm. totally blanking on the running back's name who got hurt in the preseason and out for the year um, at Washington this year. But um, totally blanking on it. But they don't even have the threat of a run game now. It's just Michael Penix, and so and I think like. It's another year in Kalen DeBoer's system. It's another year with these three NFL caliber wide receivers that they have. I mean, he's going to put up numbers. The Pac-12 has a lot of bad defenses in it on top of that. So it's really setting up for him to put up big numbers. Uh, But I still like Quinn Ewers' path because he's also going to have the opportunity to put up some big numbers. I I think what also worries me and gives me a little bit of anxiety is Texas is running the ball so well against inferior competition that they're going to see a lot of throughout the rest of this. Like we talked about their schedule a couple weeks ago, like their schedule sets up very favorably, favorably for them and they don't face a lot of like top tier defenses. So I think they can run the ball and they may just not ask Quinn Ewers to do it. But I still think at minimum Quinn Ewers has a very high shot of getting to New York. And if 
in a, in what I consider a narrative award in the Heisman, if Texas is in the college football playoff, then Quinn Ewers is going to get a lot of buzz for helping lead that charge. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I am still on the Quinn Ewers bandwagon. I think Caleb Williams drawing dead for the Heisman. I don't see that at all, especially considering you're starting to see some other players start to put up the necessary mm-hmm. numbers and the record and the narrative. I think that voters will find a way to not vote for Caleb Williams. That's not saying he's not the best. I'm just saying Heisman. Right. Michael Penix is obviously putting up video game like numbers. Also, Washington is a very difficult path and mm-hmm. still hasn't had a signature victory. We will see middle of October. Uh, they host, I believe, Oregon and then their Pac 12 schedule picks up. So we'll see. Michael Penix, I. I see why he's the favorite right now. I still think Quinn Ewers is uh, is going to be the winner when it's all said and done. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So mm-hmm. with all that being said, are you ready to preview some week five? Oh, let's do it. You know, we've talked about national champions. Let's get into some not national champions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> before we get started, just a reminder, use the code STB bottom right hand of the screen. If you're watching on YouTube or in the podcast description, if you're listening, not live, uh, new users can place a $5 first bet to instantly claim $200 in bonus bets plus up to 150 back in bonus bets if that team loses. Again, just use the code STB. Maybe one of these bets stands out to you. Fire them in on DraftKings. Use the code STB. All right. Mm. Solid week last week. We juiced out on the VIG. 3-3-1 three, three, and one for each of us. Pretty painful push. What would you push on? Uh, the New Mexico State uh, midnight game. That, uh, yeah. Hawaii won by a field goal, and I had it at plus three. So that was That's tough. annoying. I, I mean, I had Clemson, Florida State over – I guess maybe I'm lucky I pushed, but I mean, goes to overtime and it lands 31-24. That's kind of a, a painful one. So uh, Yeah, you would hope for Clemson to get a score in overtime yeah. there, and they did right. not. So Yeah, so on the year, we're both – neither of us have broken through, but we're both sitting right there, hopefully going to get into the green this week. 15-16-1 for yours truly, Cody. 14-17-1. We got five picks on the board today. Nope, I'm wrong. We have six picks we're going to get to. Let's start. Plenty of games during the week this week. So we're bringing back our early week segment with a handful of games on Thursday and Friday. Cody, where are you looking uh, early in the week here? Uh, I'm looking for points uh, with the Hilltoppers (laughs) in Western Kentucky. Uh, So Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky, I have the over 60 and a half in this game. I mean, when you look at this matchup, Western Kentucky is 19th in EPA per play offensively and 23rd in EPA uh, on dropbacks. Middle Tennessee, meanwhile, is 90th in defensive EPA per play and 87th <laughs> on dropbacks. You look at the Blue Raiders numbers offensively, and 
they're not particularly impressive, but that's partially due to their schedule. They've actually played some tough defenses so far this season. Like, uh, yes, they played Murray State and they put 35 up on them, and they played Colorado State and put 23 up on them. But we saw Colorado State's defense handle Colorado, which is a step up in competition pretty well. So Middle Tennessee didn't play that terribly, but then they also played Missouri and Alabama. So, I mean, that's not a matchup that's going to be favorable to the Blue Raiders at any point. So I think this offense has a lot more potential than what the numbers might show just based on who they played and the raw data. And so in Western Kentucky's defense, we've seen just be an absolute problem. I mean, they gave up 27 last week to a Troy offense that I think is truly horrendous. So I don't think the Hilltoppers can stop anyone. So I just think this is a back-and-forth shootout throughout this game. Like, I don't see many stops. If this t- total ended up in the 70s, like, for the actual game, it would not surprise me. I completely agree. Uh, all points well said. I think this Western Kentucky defense is a big, big issue. Mm-hmm. But Austin Reed, one of the most prolific passers in the country, I, I see a little issue here against middle Tennessee. I, I think that they're going to definitely each team should find a way into the thirties for sure. I think I like watching Kentucky in this game, trusting them to cover and win by a touchdown. That's maybe not something I'm as interested in, but yeah. I, I think this is a good look here. Uh, for me, I'm going Friday night. Give me Cincinnati minus Ooh. one, <laughs> minus one and a half. Sorry. Against BYU. I watched that Cincinnati, Oklahoma game. Uh, Cincinnati's defensive line. One of the better ones in the country, even I mean, they limited Oklahoma, mm-hmm. who's this explosive offense, to only 20 points in, a, in the home game. And honestly, Cincinnati, you probably should have put more points on the board. I mean, they end up covering depending on where you got the number, but definitely this game was far more competitive than a two touchdown difference. Cincinnati got inside the Oklahoma 33 different times, zero points yeah. on those drives. They didn't score a touchdown. Oklahoma's defensive line far better than BYU's, in my opinion. I don't know if BYU's going to be able to hold down. Emory Jones making plays outside the pocket. And my biggest concern is this BYU offense. I know over the past few weeks, they've put up points. They put up 38 against Arkansas. They put up uh, mid to high 20s against Kansas. Cincinnati's defensive line is going to be a big, big jump in class, in my opinion, given how their defense has looked. And I mean, look at BYU on a down-to-down basis, 104th in success rate. And they're going to struggle. I mean, Cincinnati against the run has been elite. And then... I don't trust Keaton Slovis to have enough time to throw the ball over the top. Again, this BYU offense just middling in terms of pass success rates. So uh, that's 60th there. So I think Cincinnati, I think they're the better team. I know road trip up to Provo night game might be a little weird, but I think that this BYU team is far worse than the Cincinnati team. I think that that offsets it. You go back two weeks ago, even Cincinnati lost to Miami of Ohio. I believe they had five red zone trips and with zero touchdowns. So again, this team's been a little bit snake bitten when the field yeah, oh yeah. shortens. I just don't know if BYU is the team to really stymie that. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll go Cincinnati. I think essentially to win the game on the road, I think they're the better team. No, I'm I 100% like, I like that a lot. Uh, I think Cincinnati is one of those teams that has a very defined and limited ceiling, but I also yes. think they have a like relatively high floor compared to their ceiling. And so, and like BYU I'm not sure they have a high ceiling and I'm not sure they have a high floor either. So like, I think that you're just in a situation where Cincinnati has a lot of matchup advantages. I think honestly, Emory Jones's legs can cause some problems in this game. Yes. Absolutely. And so, yeah. So I, I, I like that pick a lot. I think it's sneaky and I think it's a good line based on what we saw from Cincinnati's offense last week. BYU. And another reason why I think they're really going to struggle. They haven't been able to run the ball 
whatsoever right. this year. 128th in success rate on the ground, 119th in EPA per rush. So this is going to be all on Keaton Slovis, who I have said on the show, I do not think is very good whatsoever. So I think you're really going to see Cincinnati just pressure, 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 really not respect the run game at all. That's going to put Emory Jones on the field and let the Cincinnati offense kind of operate. And hopefully let some frustrations out after two weeks where they probably should have scored more points than they did. And maybe, you know, get on track here. I, I think BYU's kind of outmatched here. All right, let's mm-hmm. keep it moving here. Handful of ranked games this week. So we're bringing back our ranked versus ranked matchup. Cody, where are you looking? Uh, so after rooting for points early in the week, I'm uh, not rooting for any on uh, Saturday night. Uh, Notre Dame and Duke. I like the under 52 in this. Um, I think like this is kind of a lesser version of what we saw with uh, Ohio State and Notre Dame last week where the defenses are the two best units on the field in this game. And when you dig into the numbers a little bit, they're both top 25 in SP plus after week four on defense. And they both have offenses that are not inside the top 10. And that, but I also think that they haven't played the one time we've seen Notre Dame play a defense that was as good as this uh, was last week. And they managed 14 points and had no explosiveness to their offense at all. Duke, we saw play Clemson in week one, they put up 28, but I don't particularly think that that was more about that as much about Duke's offense, like on a per play basis, Clemson just put them in – Clemson's offensive mistakes put them in a lot of advantageous yes. positions to take advantage of that. So I don't think it was a particularly notable offensive performance from Duke. Riley Leonard's a very good quarterback. I think – I still believe in Sam Hartman. I still think he's a very fine quarterback. But I just think the defenses are the best units in this. I think that – or I've seen that um, – Duke's defense is uh, ranked really highly against the run in EPA per rush. And I think they're able to really contain Audric Estime a little bit. I apologize. I misspoke. They're, they've struggled against the run. I misread my notes. Forgive me. But uh, they struggled against the run. But I think that actually still plays into the under because I think Notre Dame is just going to rely, especially after a high emotion game last week. I think they're just going to lean into the run, try to run Audric Estime. That's going to bleed clock. And at a relatively high total of 52, I'm confident both these defenses to keep the number under. Yeah. A lot of injuries for the already relatively green Notre Dame pass catching group. So I think that this mm-hmm. is going to be a run heavy approach for Notre Dame. I'm still trying to wrestle with how I feel about this game. I'm, I'm still not all the way sure of where I'm leaning. That being said, I, I can't fault the underplay. I, I think Notre Dame's defense showed up a lot against Ohio state. I was very impressed with how they limited explosive plays everywhere outside that mm-hmm. one Travion Henderson run. Um, let's hope they have enough people on the field to make sure <laughs> that uh, they can keep this game under 52 mine another weeknight game i'm gonna lay the three with oregon state against utah Mm. the concern i had with oregon state heading into the season was their cornerback play and i kind of overlooked it when i bet oregon state against washington state last week because i thought that they had such an edge in the trenches that they could kind of overwhelm wazoo Mm. that was not the case obviously wazoo was able to find downfield shots left and right cam ward over 300 yards kind of put Oregon State behind, and DJU couldn't keep the team on pace. That being said, that's not this Utah team. This is whether Cam Rising plays or whether Nate Johnson plays. I do not believe Utah has the offensive firepower to test Oregon State where it's most vulnerable. Again, it's either Nate Johnson, who hasn't been able to pass the ball at all this season, or it's Cam Rising back in his first game on a short week on the road in a tough place to play in Corvallis. I just think there's some rust there. 
That being said, on the other side, Utah's defense has been playing absolutely out of its mind. Full credit mm-hmm. to them. They, I, I just, eventually the dam is going to have to give, and this defense isn't either going to get a pick six to start the game on the first play of the game to put them ahead right. of UCLA, or Utah's not going to get a 75-yard pass on the first play of the other game against Florida to put them up 7-0. I think that this team, for the first time all year, is going to play a competent offense, not including Baylor, a competent offense that's going to put them behind, and I don't think Utah's going to be able to keep up. I think Oregon State is going to be in their preferred game state, a little bit of a head, can lean on the run game a little bit. I think Oregon State overpowers them. I think that this is a brutal spot for Utah. I'm going to lay the three. I, th- I I think that – or I, I don't know if when the season's over, Oregon State's the better team when we see Cam rising back and everything, but right now, given this spot, I think that this sets up a lot of ways for Oregon State to win by a consider- considerable margin here. No, I think the point that you made about the defense and the dam breaking, I think, is so crucial because, like – Utah in this in the way their defense is constructed and the way Kyle Whittingham wants to coach with you know the Cam Rising situation whether he plays or not he's going to be rusty if he plays and if not the offense is very limited to say the least but they're built in this regard though if they get an early lead they can just sit on it and just sit on the ball and if they don't get an early lead in this game they're not going to be in a very advantageous situation and I think Oregon State has the right mix with like what you were on last week, like the line play and their weakness with their uh, secondary can't really be exploited by what Utah currently has on offense. So yeah, I I think that's the right side. I'm staying away from this game just because these are two teams. I'm still trying to get a better read on in terms of taking a side, but if I had to lean, I would probably lean with the beeves. So I'm with you. Yeah, for sure. Let's, uh, Let's keep it moving. We'll talk about another Pac-12 game, USC-Colorado. We'll give Colorado one more week here of a <laughs> standalone segment. Make sure we talk about this game until uh, you know, we put them to rest for a little bit. USC comes to town, lane 21 and a half, sky high total. What are we at now? What, what's our current total? We got, where are we? Uh, 21 and a half, total of 74. You can find it as high as 74 and a half. On USC Colorado, this is a 10 a.m. local kick in Boulder. Cody, where are you looking in this game? Uh, so I'm going with a first half play, which I believe you are as well, but we're definitely on I different am. plays. But um, I have USC first half minus 12 and a half. Uh, I like that number uh, for the first half because, I mean, we saw it last week. Everything came so easy for Oregon's offense against this Colorado defense, particularly without Travis Hunter. Bo Nix didn't even have to do hardly anything. Like he threw maybe like. 10 air yards them at most in the first half. And it was just chunk play after chunk play against this Colorado defense. Caleb Williams and this USC offense are going to be able to do the same, particularly with, I think a better running game with Marshawn Lloyd, who's really starting to catch a little bit of fire in this USC offense. And then on top of that, the one thing that Oregon really did to frustrate Colorado was they got after Shador Sanders uh, with pressure very consistently. And Shador Sanders moves like, late career Ben Roethlisberger in the pocket. Like he can, he's not a very mobile guy in the, when he's sitting in the pocket. And so it really bothered the Colorado offense. I don't think USC's defense is notably improved this season, but I do think that they're improved in the trenches. And so I think they can replicate a little bit of that pressure and really, you know, frustrate Shador and frustrate the Colorado offense as a whole. So I think asking USC to just jump up by two touchdowns in the first half is not a very big ask of them. I, I agree. Similar sentiment. 
I just think this number is too high. I took the first half under 37 and a half as my best bet. It is gross. It's not going to be fun with the way Colorado likes to play fast. That being said, USC, like you just mentioned, their pass rush grade on pro football focus is top five in the country. I know they mm-hmm. haven't played many teams, but we need to adjust that. Like Colorado, maybe is the best team they've played so far, but not by much. This is a, yeah. a pretty and especially low not average offensive, offensive line. line. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm factoring in a 10 a.m. local kick. Maybe this game starts a little bit slower than anticipated as the teams get kind of ease into it. Maybe you get like one or two sleepy drives out of this one where the ball is not like the guys aren't moving as fast. Guys are still kind of easing into this one. I went first half under. Both of us could hit for sure with this number. Oh, yeah. the, this is, again, 37 and a half, five touchdowns and then some in one half. Early kick, I think USC is going to do much of the scoring anyway. USC still isn't moving at like a crazy high tempo anyway. So I I, I feel good about this first half under 37 and a half. Again, I just think slow start. I think the defense is going to show up in this one for sure. So I'll go first half under. No, I, I mean, I think – honestly, I think the way we see this game, our plays are correlated even if they don't look it at first, you know, first glance. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think we see – a, the early start, I do factor that in as well for both teams. But at the same time, like at the end of the day, it comes down to the guys on the field and Colorado does not have the guys on the field to match with USC. And so I just see it being a very – what we do – I see some sluggish starts and then USC basically just scoring at will once they hit a little bit of a groove and a little bit of a higher gear after they, you know, wake up at the 10 a.m. start. I, I, I agree. I, I, I would say USC first half, not a bad look at all. I just – I don't know, as I was going through this game, I was just like, that, this total is crazy oh, yeah. high. Um, yeah, let, let's keep it moving, though. Let's talk some SEC games because mm-hmm. this is the one conference that's really getting to the meat and potatoes of their schedule. We have a few big games. Uh, we're not going to talk about them, but LSU will Miss. Alabama hits the road to play Mississippi State. South Carolina, Tennessee, back at it this uh, weekend. Cody, you're looking at Auburn, Georgia, though. What's your look in this game? Uh, I'm going Auburn team total under 15 and a half. Uh, you can find that line on DraftKings and I think FanDuel, but I think FanDuel is a little bit juice. So definitely look to DraftKings and use the promo code. Um, but I, this is the second time this season that I've taken in a Georgia opponent team total under. The first time was against South Carolina. They yeah, hit the, the – it was 13 under 13 and a half is what I played. They scored 14 in the first half and then did not score a single point. I felt like I got robbed on that one, so I'm going back to the well. But <laughs> I have the two back. I have the two touchdown protection with the total sitting at 15 and a half. Auburn's offense is terrible. They re- like Peyton Thorne is not it. They have not run the ball particularly well with Jarquez Hunter. They rank 120th in offensive EPA per play so far this season. And I understand that Georgia's defense statistically, like when you dig into EPA and things like that. They haven't been as dominant as they have been, but we saw in the second half of that South Carolina game after Kirby went to the locker room and laid into them that they still have that juice to be one of the top five defensive units in the country. And I come back to the fact that where Georgia has gotten burned a couple times this year, specifically against South Carolina, was explosive passing plays. And uh, Auburn does not have that in their arsenal. Peyton Thorne does not have that in his ability. And I just don't see a way where Auburn moves the ball consistently enough to be able to score, honestly, two touchdowns, but especially more than two touchdowns. I think the only way that this doesn't hit is if Carson Beck against a 
admittedly solid Auburn defense puts Auburn's offense in some advantageous situations with turnovers or mistakes or anything like that. But I, I don't see this Georgia team coming out flat like they did against South Carolina. I think that, you know, this is a deep, you know, deep South oldest rivalry. It's a rivalry game. Hugh Freeze kind of disrespected Kirby Smart and Georgia a little bit earlier this week, you know, not knowing that Kirby went to a national championship game in his second season at Georgia. So I think that Kirby Smart has these guys ready to play four quarters for the first time this season. And I don't think Auburn sniffs 15 and a half points. Also, I mean, Peyton and Thor got benched last week against Texas A&M, so maybe that's always in play if they go to a run-first approach, and that's just not going to work. I mean, you look yeah. at what Auburn just put on tape against Texas A&M. Uh, I believe they had sub-three yards per play in this one, so I think Georgia could find similar success where they're winning in the trenches, they're putting Auburn behind the sticks, and they're just not able to pick up first downs and keep the chains moving. So uh, no hate here uh, on the Auburn team total under – I'm looking for another similar-ish play. I took the under 44 in Kentucky, Florida. It's it's getting really low here. We're running out of margin, but <laughs> I, this is my favorite look on the board of all the SEC games. Kentucky's offense, I mean, grading out as a nationally average offense in EPA mm-hmm. per play and success rate, despite playing arguably the easiest schedule to date of any <laughs> SEC team. They play two MAC schools, Eastern Kentucky and then Vanderbilt down two defensive backs and is the worst team in the SEC by some way this year. So mm-hmm. Kentucky, you'd think with Devin Leary and bringing back offensive coordinator Liam Cohn, this team would be humming on offense going into this Florida game. It's been the complete opposite. Devin Leary does not look yeah. healthy whatsoever. So I don't trust this Kentucky offense against a Florida defense that shut down Tennessee, shut down Utah on the road in Rice-Eccles. Um, I, I think Florida's proven this is a damn good defensive team. On the other side, the Florida offense is still severely limited. They mm-hmm. are not letting Graham Mertz throw the ball downfield. They're keeping it very simple, very vanilla. They're hoping the run game keep them ahead of the sticks. Travis Etienne, Johnson, keep the chains moving a little bit. Um, I, I think this is shaping up for 23-20, either team. 2017, I think that this is going to be a defensive rock fight. Both teams outside the top 100 in place per minute. So I think that it's going to be very, very vanilla, very buttoned up. Whichever quarterback makes that crucial mistake is likely going to decide this one. I mean, games lined is essentially a coin flip. I just, I, I trust both defenses more. I'm going to go under 44 as my favorite bet in uh, Florida, Kentucky. No, that's definitely a play. You, I mean, you couldn't pay me to pick a side in this game. <laughs> Absolutely not. Cause I have, I, I have enough doubts about about both offenses and enough faith in Florida's defense that I just know that this is going to be an ugly, ugly game. Oh, yeah. And in Mark Stoops, you know, it's Mar- it's a Mark Stoops defense. We know what we're going to get. So this is, yeah, this is a rock fight and unders the right play. Do not play a side in this game for the love <laughs> of God. <laughs> Let, let's do some upset picks. Mm. What, what did we do last week on upset? I said, I, think I said BC who got absolutely destroyed. And yeah, I had SMU. yeah, SMU didn't go so well either. So let's hit one here. Let's get on the board here. Uh, yours is crazier, so I'll go first. I'll, I'll be a little <laughs> Another weeknight game. I have a lot of weeknight action here. Uh, I'm going to go Temple plus three and a half against Tulsa. I, I I don't I can't really get to this number. I think Temple should be favored in the game. Okay, for whatever that's worth. Uh, Tulsa. We haven't seen this team. I, we saw them beat Northern Illinois. That also, as someone who bet on Northern Illinois in the game, uh, saw Northern Illinois have three turnovers, and they missed a 26-yard field goal that was going to put them ahead early in the game. So Tulsa, to me, that's kind of a fraudulent win. 
Temple, they've either been severely outmatched or they've rolled up on competition. They lost by 30 to Rutgers. They lost by 30 or they lost by 40 to Miami. So they've struggled to punch up in class and that's why they're two and two. But if you look at their schedule, they've also dominated their lesser opponents. I mean, they beat Norfolk 41 to nine and they take care of business against Akron. You're playing a team like that in Tulsa, Tulsa, we don't know if their quarterback, Braylon Braxton, is going to be back from injury. Their backup, Cardell Williams, is absolutely mm-hmm. god-awful. Uh, negative touchdown interception ratio. Mm-hmm. The Tulsa offense, I, I, where are we expecting this team to win with margin? I think Temple, in the drop in class after playing teams like Rutgers and Miami, going to get a nice boost on offense with EJ Warner. Uh, I think Temple definitely covers. I think that they're super live to win this game. Tulsa, uh, you know, first-time favorite against an FBS opponent this week. I mean, it's a big change in expectation. Tulsa, I know they played Washington and Oklahoma, so their numbers are going to be really inflated in the secondary, but right. dead last across the board in terms of EPA per pass. EJ Warner, I think, is a pretty good group of five quarterback. I think he can find some strides here in the Temple offense. So I'll go Temple as my upset pick. No, I like that. Like, I don't have a ton of faith in Temple, like, long-term. but It's more of a fate of Tulsa. It's more of a fate of Tulsa. That's literally what I was about to say is I have less faith in Tulsa moving forward. I think that defense is susceptible, like you said, to explosive plays, particularly in the passing game. I think Temple's capable of putting up explosive passing plays. And more importantly, I think that Tulsa offense might be just absolute dog water now. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's hard to watch. Uh, so you mentioned I'm uh, I'm going a little bit bolder, and I am indeed. I have South Carolina plus 12 and a half uh, at Tennessee. Uh, th- much like your play, this is a fade of Tennessee and a number being way, way too big. Uh, shout out to our producer, Joanne, Gamecocks fan. Uh, this was actually just off of her. I think she just put this pick in here for me. But um, <laughs> Spencer Rattler – I, you know, he's been much maligned over his college career. He's quietly been one of the best quarterbacks in college football in the entire country this year, particularly. Yeah. I mean, it's especially given his situation, South Carolina's had injuries in the, uh, with their pass catchers this year. Um, and the offensive line we saw against North Carolina was getting Spencer Rattler killed. And he still played phenomenally in every game this season, basically when he's not been, you know, running for his life more or less. And you look at this Tennessee, um, you look at Tennessee on both sides of the ball. I still have no faith in Joe Milton at all to run this offense. I mean, Tennessee, Tennessee's offense is 79th in EPA per play this season. And I think the one way, the one area where they've been most effective this season has been running the ball with Jabari Smalls and Jalen Wright. Jalen Wright's out this game. So they're down a running back, which I think has been the most like consistent and efficient part of their offense so far this season. So you look at that against the South Carolina team and you look at the Tennessee defense, which we know can be susceptible to big plays. I think that Spencer Rattler spends a little bit of a masterclass in this game, takes advantage of a really favorable matchup, even on the road against Tennessee. And I understand Tennessee is going to be out for revenge after what we saw at the end of last season. I just don't think they're capable of covering almost a two touchdown spread. Uh, The money line might be a little aggressive, but plus 12 and a half is too many points for Two teams that I think are more evenly matched than we want to give them credit for because we saw South Carolina struggle in a couple spots. 63-38 Cox last year. That's right. Run it back. Run it Run back. It back. Let's go. <laughs> Maybe. Let, let's get out of here with a sickos pick. 
uh, what did we do last week? I can't remember. I had the New Mexico State. That was my push. And then I lost on Sam Houston, so that's my bad. But I'm going back to old reliable. I'm going back UAB over with my boy Trent Dilfer. UAB (laughs) Tulane over 58 and a half. Tulane, we don't have a true sample size with Tulane because Michael Pratt's only played in two games and he's looked really, really good in those two games. <laughs> yes, he Playing has. a UAB team, defense looks worse for wear. They've allowed you know 40-plus to Louisiana, obviously 40-plus to Georgia. But the UAB offense, 21 points against Georgia. Trent Dilfer's getting his team in the end zone, and that's what yep. we need here. We're rooting for we're rooting for the over here, over 50-and-a-half. Tulane, the defense is very good, but I think that you could still, with UAB's pace, Top third in the country in terms of plays per minute. They're going to be able to push the pace. They pass a lot. I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on Tulane. And again, we've now seen that Trent Dilfer twice for me now has hit the over uh, on these sickos picks. So, you know, Trent Dilfer works to get these guys in the end zone. And I think over 58 and a half for sure. I think Tulane, Michael Pratt still working his way back. I think that they're going to want to take the top off the UAB defense. Fireworks in store, baby, at uh, Yeoman Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that you – it hasn't I, failed me yet. It hasn't failed me yet. I was about yet. to say, UAB overs might just be the wagon <laughs> that keeps on coming. Um, and, I mean, but the thing about, you know, their pace of play, when you look at this two-lane offense, and, uh, I mean, Michael Pratt, even though it's only a two-game sample size, he's shown the ability to create explosive plays almost at will. And this UAB mm-hmm. defense has no resistance to explosive plays from what we've seen. And so, like – even if UAB's offense gets off to a slow start against this two-lane defense, it's just going to put the ball right back in Michael Pratt's hands to hit that and build an early lead. And then UAB and Trent Dilfer have no problem with garbage time scores. They just want the end zone at the end of the day. So, I mean, it's it's the perfect spot for an over. I love it being under 60. I think that's a really good spot for you. Um, I'm going, once again, with the latest game on the slate for the second straight week. Uh, I have Fresno State team total over 37.5 against Nevada. I love it. I love it. I mean, Nevada it might be the worst defensive team in the country. Let's just throw that out there. They gave up 33 points to Idaho and have allowed 30-plus in every game they played, including 66 to USC. I understand that's USC. Fresno State is not USC, but I only need 38 points, not 66. Fresno State's offense doesn't have Kalen DeBoer anymore, obviously, but they're still absolutely cooking, particularly through the air. They've been creating a lot of explosive plays through the air. They're one of the most efficient passing offenses in the league. And you look at the Nevada defense and where they, I mean, they struggle in every capacity, the Wolfpack two words, but uh, they have been even worse against the pass than against the run. I think Fresno State just kind of throws the ball at well in this game. The spread's 24 and a half. I looked at that, but Fresno State's defense still gives me a little pause, especially because Nevada's offense hasn't been completely lifeless this season. So I... I'm putting more faith in just Fresno State scoring a lot of points in this game. And, you know, five touchdowns and a field goal feels like a pretty easy proposition for me, especially at home. I can't hate it. Can't hate it. I I, I also like the uh, looking away from the spread, maybe avoid that. Just take what you're really counting on, that they're going to score enough points. Screw the defense. just Because yeah. Nevada, they've scored, if I'm not mistaken, 28 last two weeks against Kansas and Texas State. So Nevada's been – Showing a little bit on offense, so maybe yeah. better to avoid that, skew that, go for just a team total. That's definitely what scared me away from the spread is, you know, they've, <laughs> they the offense is showing a little bit of life, and uh, Fresno State's defense is not something I'm, like, super confident in, but I am confident in their offense, especially against a very bad defense. 100%, 100%. All right, to wrap up, I went with the early week play of Cincinnati, minus one and a half against BYU. I took Oregon State laying the three against Utah, 
I took the first half under in USC, Colorado, under 37 and a half. I took Kentucky, Florida, under 44. And then for my upset pick, took two, uh, took Temple plus three and a half against Tulsa. A lot of T's here at the end. Right. Uh, Temple plus three and a half against Tulsa as my upset pick. And then UAB Tulane over 58 and a half as my sicko pick. Uh, let's get over 500 this week. Cody, what'd you got? Yeah, let's, we need to get over 500. This is killing me. But early week, I have uh, Middle Tennessee, Western Kentucky over 60 and a half. Uh, then I have Notre Dame Duke under 52. Uh, I like the first half USC spread minus 12, 12 and a half against Colorado. Uh, and for the, in the SEC, I have Auburn's team total under 15 and a half staying in the SEC for my upset pick. I have South Carolina plus 12 and a half against Tennessee, really setting myself and Joanne up for some heartbreak there. And then the sickos pick Fresno state team total over 37 and a half against Nevada. Love it. And if you like any of these picks as well, make sure you're going over to DraftKings, signing up, depositing $5 with the code STB, stands for Sack in the Box, and you get $200 in bonus spends instantly. And guess what? If it loses, you get possibly $150 back in bonus bets. More in the podcast description or the YouTube description if you have been watching live. Cody, great show as always, man. I will be back with you next Wednesday, 3 o'clock, preview week 6 Can't wait. Best of luck on all the bets, and we'll see you then. Best of luck. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.